Hello there. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'm your host, Deck, and I'm joined by Claudia with a K and Key. On today's episode, we wanted to talk about Steve Jobs. Well, the film Steve Jobs, not the person Steve Jobs. Well, it might mesh in a little bit with the person Steve Jobs as well. But we are going to be talking about the Danny Boyle 2015 directed film about Steve Jobs. Let's see it, sure. So... Tell me a little bit about the story, guys, because I've obviously seen this film many times myself in the past, but this might have been your first time seeing the film. So, tell me a little bit about the story. Just what you already covered. Steve Jobs. Who in the current day and age does not know who Steve Jobs is? Again, just to reiterate and repeat again what Deck has said. We are not talking about the 2013 movie about the title character played by Ashton Kutcher. Here we see Michael Fassbender stepping into the shoes of this iconic figure. Will this be another movie that glorifies this figure in tech history? Well, I think for a biopic, it doesn't blur the truth to paint Steve Jobs as some kind of saint. In fact, he's an asshole to everyone. His co-workers, his customers, his engineers his family, and so on and so on. It seems the way to fail upwards in life is to be rude at the same time. Noted for my own future business endeavors. So we follow Steve through many product launches and failures throughout his career and the lessons learned, or in some cases not learned, along the way and how all this builds up to the success story that we know today as Steve Jobs of Apple. And with some classic working dialogues and monologues to keep things interesting, as you can really expect from a Sorkin script. Certainly this movie does not shy away from good and impactful dialogues. I'll I'll, I'll agree here with you. Just to tap more into the, the kind of ups and downs that you mentioned, Key. Let's face it, Steve Jobs to this day remains the iconic name and and face of Apple computers. The movie focuses more on the fact that he always wants to be in control. It is also explained that it is largely due to his kind of childhood and the fact that he knows he was adopted and in a way felt unwanted, I guess. But Jobs does not care who he needs to piss off as long as he gets what he uh, as long as he gets what he wants. What he wants is a closed-end system for each of his products to maintain his vision rather than users being able to transform his product for their own wants. So to depict the stage of his life, literally, we see him on stage and backstage before three distinct product launches. So in 1984 for the Macintosh computer, it kind of being the first new product for Apple since the since the most successful Apple II uh, seven years earlier. Then second launch in 1988 for the next computer for which Jobs is more concerned about the integrity of a perfect black cube design rather than its unknown capabilities. 
last but not least in 1998 for the iMac computer. Thank you for acknowledging the Apple II team. Ha 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 ha. Funny joke, funny joke. I thought we're not going to have any spoilers in this one, guys. Too late. <laughs> um, a- again, before I got rudely interrupted, um, we cannot talk about Apple without some other significant figures like Wozniak. And I suppose apart from him being the other co-founder of Apple, uh, he can be best described as nuts and bolts man. We also see Joanna Hoffman, um, head of marketing and Jobs' uh, close friend, who I personally believe was the only person that was not afraid to face him and one that he listened to, on occasion at least. Then we have John Scully, Apple CEO, who is more concerned about meeting the wants of the board and the stakeholders than Jobs. We have Andy Hertzfeld, who is chief engineer, one of the two Andys, I believe, for the Mac, and who needs to meet Jobs' every whim for the product, even if he feels it cannot be done. Last but not least, we see Lisa Brennan, who the courts deem to be his biological daughter and her eccentric mother, Chrisanne Brennan, I believe her name was. So, I gave you the setting and the context. I gave you the key players. Now, traditionally, I would give you a detailed rundown of every scene in the movie. Nice little possible segue, I guess. Is there anything we liked about the film? Sorkin was willing to write the main character as unlikable while still finding a way to make their appearance on screen enjoyable through how he wrote the dialogue. And I really do like taking a leap but also putting in the effort to make sure that it actually works out. He pulls it off and sticks the landing on it. And yeah, Sorkin, many people will know him as one of the kings of dialogue. And the quips here and... I thought of a term myself, just verbal venom. In some of these characters on screen will use words to nearly wound or attack others. So you're not getting physical action scenes. You're getting verbal action scenes, let's say. And this leads to really strong dialogues between characters. And usually when so many things are being spoken... You might think something is more like, oh, this is a tell and not show. But Sorkin finds a way to make these dialogue heavy movies interesting. And because, yeah, when you boil down to it, if you take out the dialogue, there isn't that much extra in the film. And the fact that it still stays interesting with all that talking. And I'm sure it must have been very difficult for the actors to remember those scripts because Sorkin, I'm sure he puts in so much work, he wants them word perfect. And yeah, to keep the film interesting, that I think that's a really good strong point of the film. And yeah, even more on the writing, characters have their own cadence and they verbally suit their roles. And the way I'm kind of saying that is how they speak and the words that they use are unique to each character. 
and they all feel fishing for what role the character is filling in the movie. I found that quite interesting. It's not that they're a typical archetype or something. It's all the way down to the sentences that the actors are given to uh, speak out and portray in the film. They all fit it. And I have a feeling that kind of thing from Zorkin probably makes it pretty easy for an actor to get into their role because when they think over their words it probably all comes naturally to them and it all really elevates it on the acting i think one standout among quite a few strong acting here is michael fassbender himself this is a really good role for him and you can really see his dedication to this role and as i said before Steve Jobs is kind of an unlikable character, but with Fastbender's portrayal, it still draws you in. You want to see more of his acting. And that really shows him carrying so much of the weight of this film on his shoulders and putting it off really well, I think. Because the way that we have Jobs written here, and I quite liked it, is he's always working an angle. He keeps his cards close to his chest and that when he's speaking with another character, he'll be kind of leading the conversation one way. He'll have an objective, you can probably tell, and what he'll do is he'll lead them into a kind of a trap and then he'll spring something on them, usually a perfect recollection of an event or something that he heard. So he'll actually use someone's own exact words against them later. And yet the way this is built up in the script and the movie to lead into these scenes just, yeah, I think it's really strong. It's something I really liked in it. It's a great way of, as I said, these action dialogue, let's say, scenes. Because you're not having flashy action scenes, you're having dialogues. Those are the battles that are kind of being played out mentally between characters on screen. So you get things like Jobs versus Andy, the engineer, or Sully, the CEO on the board. And as Claudia covered in the story section, uh, Jobs kind of is quite defined by many things. And one example is his distrust of people, even his own biological father. And this is a reveal that comes later on in the film. And we actually learn some things that show uh, just how deep of a distrust he has. And how separated he has been from his father. In the third act, I'm not going to spoil it too much. But it kind of, for me, kicks off with a dialogue, let's say, between Steve and Waz. And I think this is a really strong way to bring things up. And in the film, compared to previous conversations between the characters, this one is different. So that kind of shows the passage of time. Also, as it's interesting, kind of guys up your interest, and you can tell going to the third act, okay, something's going to be different here. I'm going to say some of the dialogue, there was one scene quite good with Sully, who was a CEO of Apple, and he just says a thing, God, the things we could have done. And I don't, yeah, I think in the way this film built up, it just seemed like a perfect line. And it's those choices of perfect lines that really makes this a strong movie for me due to Sorkin's writing I'll cut my likes there cool thank you Claudia 
<clears throat> I I have to strongly agree with you, Key. Here, uh, definitely, Fastbender is is just owning this movie, and I know he plays the title character, but it's it's really his acting. He just owns the scenes in his own right. Jobs or not, his presence on screen is striking and you can see it with your bare eyes. The way he he kind of gets the lines across, the body language, in, in my opinion, is the closest we can get to the real Steve Jobs. Whether it is in the writing, acting or both, I don't know. To get the character across in, in such a way where on occasion you are sympathizing with jobs and other times you feel that jesus he he got what he deserved you know um we kind of a lot of time have tendencies of associating one actor with one role and it's it's almost like a tag they they carry through their career with him it is not the case uh, fastbender we've seen him in many many excellent films but he is known as Michael Fassbender, not necessarily as the character he played, which I think just shows the strength of him as a, as an actor. And obviously you pair that up with very strong roles like Jobs and, you know, you have something really, really good there. I suppose, look, like I said, Steve Jobs is no different you can see Fassbender clearly studied Jobs as a, as a character. He understands the emotions he, he might have been experiencing. He managed to put that on screen for us to see. Obviously, I would imagine more dramatic version of it, but, you know, it is a movie after all. I believe his dedication towards the role and getting it right definitely paid off. I read that the film was shot in, in sequence. So basically the actors spent four weeks on each of the three acts. So rehearsing for two weeks and then filming for two. So supposedly Fassbender didn't even have his script at the rehearsals by the time they got to the act three. So he just memorized it all. And I believe it just kind of gave him more opportunities to focus on getting the character across better. Kind of understanding that deep kind of emotions that goes into each of those scenes. He definitely strikes me as somebody who has great appreciation towards the craft and strong work ethic on and off screen. Another item I liked about the, the movie is the attention to, to detail. You may notice that each sequence has some distinct visual um, traits. So, well, this is due to the fact that it was actually filmed on the 16mm, 35mm and digital. And that was actually done to illustrate the advancement in Apple technology. And across the 16 years of Jobs' life, we see depicted. So I think that was such a subtle addition to an already well-made film. Pair this up with an outstanding lightning, interesting angles. And there you go. Steve Jobs happens. Deck, do you have any smart arse remarks no, here? No, no. <laughs> Um, and then kind of last but not least, uh, 
I want to say clever usage of the soundtrack, especially before Jobs is announcing iMac. The stomping of the feet, creating that, you know, beat nearly taken from We Will Rock You. Funny, but so well done. It is like the kind of final statement of, yes, we know some dot 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 hit the fan backstage in the past 16 years, but we will absolutely rock your socks off now. You can see the impact um, Jobs had on people despite numerous challenges happening in in the background. But I don't want to kind of say too much uh, about the soundtrack myself because, Deck, I know this is usually your territory and you're, you usually bring bring up really, really good points. So what did you think of um, soundtrack in this movie? Uh, so I think the soundtrack is very underrated um, in this film. Obviously... You know, we have the three acts, I guess, um, and each act has its own identity, you know, with obviously its setting, with the camera work, who's involved, what's the scenario that we're encountering. So the soundtrack, of course, definitely, you know, backs that up. And funny enough, the composer of this is Daniel Permington, who... If you're following along on our podcast, also did the score for Spider-Man uh, animated film that came out this year. And I would argue his soundtrack for that as well matches that film. So here, I think it peaks very, I wouldn't say early, but he knows how to elevate a certain scene. And each, I suppose, the first act in particular, the soundtrack is building, building and then peak. But then the second one, there's a particular argument between Jeff Daniels' character and Michael Fassbender's character. And the soundtrack is basically, it play it, it accompanies this script and the acting and the direction so well that I feel like it makes the scene more memorable. Now, I'm not going to spoil the scene, even though the film has been out a couple of years. So, you know, spoilers, I mean, you know. Um, but it does just elevate everything around it. And for a film where, you know, we're focusing on the acting, the direction and the writing and the cinematography, soundtrack feels like it's forgotten and all of that. And I definitely think he gets this across so well where, yeah, you're not going to be humming the music if you're walking down the street. But it's like that perfect fitting glove to the rest of the film. Um Further on from that, I suppose my other likes about Steve Jobs is the three-act structure. And I do think the three separate moments of Steve Jobs' life being focused upon here um, is amazing. It's We're not being revealed too much. It is basically the whole behind the scenes. And each one takes place where a big reveal or speech is about to happen. And... We basically don't even get to see the speech. We get to see all the backstage drama of it. And I love that, you know, because I'm sure it was pretty intense when all of this stuff was happening anyway. Um, So, yeah, I think both my co-hosts have said it enough, um, but I will just reiterate it anyway. Aaron Sorkin's writing here. Do we need to say any more? We've probably, you know, we could go on all day about he's writing here and... Yeah, he's just perfect. The dialogue is so sharp. It's, you know, you hand this to any good actor, they're going to really enjoy performing something like this. As both my co-hosts have said, Michael Fassbender is 
outstanding in this film. It is one of those films where I think years, years down the line, people are going to wonder what what's his most underrated role, and I definitely think it's this. He's had some very you know hidden performances that are you know outshine the rest of the film, but here being the title character. And just how well he gets it across. How just smooth he gets it across. Yeah, I mean, from accounts, Steve Jobs was supposed to actually have been a decent enough person. He wasn't as, I suppose, dickish as the film portrays him as. But still, Fassbender does get across those war moments and the asshole moments very, very well. And I do have to admit that is a skill, you know, keeps you intrigued, keeps you wanting more of him. Uh, also, I do think the direction in this is very, very crisp. It is something that, I suppose, Danny Boyle might not be the top of his filmography, where people are going, oh, wow, that was a Danny Boyle film. But still does take a lot to get all those pieces in place and make sure everything is moving in the right direction, even with a very good script and good cinematography. You know, you, you got to get all those pieces moving in the right direction. And I do think he's got it nailed on here. Um, in a lesser director's hands I'm not sure would this have worked as well um, if even Aaron Sorkin wanted to direct it himself I think he would have gotten a very good film out of this but meaning maybe not just as good as this I suppose my final like about this is just how it takes these moments in time and actually gives them an identity I know we talked about the camera work of each one and obviously the way Jobs is styled in each one but just the atmosphere of each of these moments is very different. Yes, the setting is, you know, very similar in the sense that they're all in a venue, a reveal is about to happen, or a speech is about to happen, and the backstage drama is usually, there's, you know, an argument with somebody, or there's something to do with the daughter here and there. Just the atmosphere of each one. You can feel time moving on. And you can kind of get that little moment captured. Right there and then. Where I do think that's quite a skill in the writing as well. To get that across. Um, Because you know. These people are at a different stage in their life as well. Um, There is a. Like I said a feeling of identity for each of these three acts. And I think. For something that is so obvious that it is a three-act film. Having each one have its identity. So you get the soundtrack, the direction, the acting. Everything is just falling in place perfectly. So yeah, that's all of my likes. Um, dislikes, I suppose. Just, I, I think, one of the main points we're kind of going over. And I think, Claudia, you and I have kind of the, the, the I suppose, something quite similar and we can kind of have a quick chat about this, um, is I suppose one dislike I have for myself is, I hate to even say it, but Kate Winslet, she's reliable in the film, but her performance isn't great um, for me. You'd like to add anything to it? Oh God, yeah. Where where do I even begin? And and yes, absolutely. I hate myself for, for saying it out loud, but... Playing the second most important character in the movie, let's face it. 
Kate Winslet, in my opinion, failed miserably. And I know that your answer was a little bit more politically correct than mine. But look, I'm sure you all heard, you know, the jokes about her accent being shocking. But as much as I find it annoying being Polish myself, I'm even willing to move past that. The real problem I had with her performance was lack of presence. Simple as. For for an actress of her caliber, I was expecting, you know, basic chemistry between her and Fassbender, you know, and the fact that it would maybe resemble more the real relationship that Jobs would have had with um, Hoffman. She's just not great in this performance. Um, and why I mean reliable is that I actually do think she has a bit of a screen presence. It's just she's not... She's not giving the performance we all know her for, um, is is where I would be kind of mainly coming from it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like a very strong supporting cast, to be fair. Um, obviously, shun true with Fassbender. Um, but yeah, any other dislikes, guys? And I think I have two small nitpicks on my own, I think, to add... And one of them, now this happens quite often, is for me, the kid dialogue felt off. And this happens quite often in film. The case where you see a child act out lines and it just doesn't feel natural. So I think lots of people used to say the term of when people try to give kids too adult or too intelligent speech to really make sense for what age they are at the time. And for me, that just kind of took it a little bit out of the film. I just found it a bit odd. Thank you, guys. So, moving on to our ratings. So, very quick rundown of our ratings. Because if you're a regular enough listener, you might know where this is going with what we're going to give. But I'm going to give you a little rundown anyway of what way we rank these films. So, we have a three-tier system. At the bottom of the tier, it is don't see it. We just recommend don't see it. Don't watch it. It could be just not for us. It could be just a bad film. And it's not even good. It could be just... Really? Why was this made? Moving up. We've got on our second tier. We've got Maybe See It. And a Maybe See It is... eh, We had fun with it. It's good. Not great. We had enough issues with it. But we definitely might go... You know what? If you're in the mood for it, why not? You know? So it's a Maybe See It. And then up at the top is See It. So with See It, it is a case of, well, we couldn't recommend the film any higher. We may even consider this a masterpiece. A brilliant, outstanding piece of film. So yeah, that's our three-tier system. So going around the room first, Claudia, what is your rating for Steve Jobs? I want to say it's a maybe See It for me uh yes i completely kind of agree with some opinions that it is an underrated movie it is a hidden gem but it's just kate winslet performance kind of ruined it for me a little bit hence why i'm putting it in the maybe see it category key for myself i am actually going to put it into a see it for me and The reason for that is 
because I think this is a good, strong example of Sorkin writing. And I do think that people really should expose themselves to films and things that are scripted by Sorkin. And I think this is a solid example of that because as I was rewatching this film, I was thinking, now on paper, what this movie is about might necessarily interest me. It's about the backroom process before a big presentation and just turning business side of things into a life story kind of things. And the fact that Sorkin's dialogue made that interesting for me is like, I think that is something worth checking out. Fair. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, For me, and I suppose if you've been listening to the earlier parts of the episode, this is, of course, a see it for me. I think just on an acting and a writing level alone, I think this is a film that if you are aspiring to be a writer, this is a brilliant example. Further to Key's point, this is a brilliant example of Sorkin's writing. And it is very watchable as well. It's not that you have to watch seasons upon seasons of The West Wing to get an idea of what his writing is. Well, saying that, you could probably even just watch one good episode of West Wing and you'd get a decent idea anyway. But with this film, it is a see it. With the acting, I just adore Michael Fassbender. It's such a shame that I guess this will kind of fall under the radar. Um, It's not a film that's always talked about or anything like that. But... I would recommend see it. It is a brilliant biopic film. So, thank you all for the ratings. Any closing statements before we wrap it up? From myself, unlike the founder, this biopic about an unlikable founding figure didn't make me want to avoid a brand. Strengths of Sorkin, I guess. The final scene sums this up perfectly. It is a lovely soft moment in a fast-paced, mile-a-minute biofilm written by Aaron Sorkin. And I think how strong an ending of a film is, it really does give you a lasting impact. And with a film like this, I think it does. You appreciate who this guy really was. And as a film, yeah, gives you a nice, warm feeling to end on. Okay. So, that has been another episode of the Let's See It Your podcast. Wherever you have been listening, please do, you know, continue listening. That's always appreciated. But, good night, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are listening. Goodbye.